Excuse me, everyone, I have a brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night. Having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folk the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I will remain a soldier till the war is won. Um, all right, so we're we're here today with uh, um, two folks uh, who run the podcast uh, Building Our Power, um, KT and Gabby, and thank y'all for being here for real. Thanks for having me. One thing I'll ask is just hey, for sure. One thing I ask is when y'all introduce yourselves. Uh, one thing we do for accessibility is just to spell out your name. Um, okay. But that yeah, that's that's really one of the only addition I have for that. Uh, so our first question is really just uh, just a general introduction for us to get to know you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with building our power and maybe specifically political education work in general. Okay, I will go first. Um, hi, my name is KT. Uh, we started building our power like a long, long time ago, but it wasn't called building our power. We were called Talk It Out Podcast. Uh, and we started this back in like 2015 during like Obama's pre- presidency because me and Gabby like to debate and we like to argue about certain political things that we might have saw on the news or that we might have saw come across the Twitter feed. And so we were kind of like, honestly, we were kind of like in the the liberal mindset during that time where we were just like, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about what uh, the election's going on and who are we for and, and what do we think about the election and is it valid? And during that time, I myself actually um, was anti-voting. <laughs> and so if we go back and we uh, were looking at some of those episodes, you'll notice that that's kind of like, I guess where we all started like coming together and moving past like liberal ideology, or at least myself, moving past liberal ideology and into something more politically educated outside of just like face value. Like, I guess I would call it like feminism, really white feminism at that. For you. Yeah, for me. Yeah. Oh, oh and uh, again, my name is KT. I'm a queer, non-binary, white femme. All right. That's all I got. I, I'm a Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. I'm a non-binary person. We're, uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. 
born and raised. Um, so yeah, kind of what KT was saying, we started talking out, you know, on our little feminism, racism, sociology tip. I'd say we were giving you kind of like progressive Democrat social social Democrat tease or whatever. And uh, we were just like, you know, shooting the shit a lot. And also we were, you know, trying to educate uh people in our age range about feminism and uh, institutional racism. Uh, so we ended up taking a year hiatus just from burnout and whatever. And uh, during that hiatus, we started to read a lot and uh, watch a lot of documentaries, go to a lot of museums. And I think that was our process of radicalization. And we started to, as KT said, move from electoral politics and start just learning the history of Memphis in general and trying to figure out, okay, these solutions that we have proposed or that we've been given, have we tried them in the past? Are they working now? And of course, the answer was no. And um, as the time went by, KT actually started to introduce me into communism. I think that's one of our other questions. But... um, Time passed some more and we were finally like, okay, communism and leftism is the way. Radical politics. We're not going to get this through electoralism. We have to tell our folks about this because there's 511 nonprofits out here trying to get us to vote and they're wasting time. And there's a thousand more trying to get us to start businesses and they're wasting time. We have to get this information out there. So that's kind of what made us want to start building our power, which was be a vehicle to educate folks from the South, folks from Memphis and our immediate area um, about the history of communism, why capitalism won't work, why electoral politics won't work, why this is the only way, yada, 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 and the, the rest is history. Yeah, yes. I appreciate that um i think i just think it's funny because um even though like all of our guests and folks that come on are like so different like one common thread for show is like the radical moment of realizing that like barack obama was a war criminal like that's like a a center point for a lot of folks that like that's one of the moments i definitely started to radicalize Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so i hella appreciate that um and i think y'all y'all covered too um kind of like the major goal of of building our power in that project um so our next question then kind of one thing we do on the show right is we just love to hear people's personal narratives um Mm -hmm. because i think everyone has a different journey uh, with their political education um so when you think back on like your own political journey your own political consciousness um can you think of like key individuals experiences moments uh in your life that were critical to you developing a a certain politic or a a certain way of um going about uh, change making or getting involved in the movement Okay, so yeah, Um, for me, I think some of the or one of the first times was like, like I said, like I started kind of like in the white feminism realm and then I kind of moved past. So one of the first things for me was reading Roxanne Gay's uh, book about fat phobia because I'm also fat. And so because of that, I was looking at it and I was reading through it and she talked a lot about like colonialism and how the white gaze does this and that. And so 
uh, after reading that, I kind of went on uh, and Gabby and I were reading Coming of Age to Mississippi together. And uh, if you've never read that book, I definitely recommend that book because it's really, really good. But it follows the story of uh, Ann Moody. And Ann Moody basically was a part of organizing people to vote in the 60s down in Canton, Mississippi. And so anyway, um, we started reading that. And, you know, before I had already really thought like, hey, you know, voting is kind of ridiculous. There's no point in us voting. I didn't vote in 2016. And I definitely wasn't going to vote in this election either. And so um, so anyway, we we moved past that. And then I after that, uh, like Gabby said, we took a hiatus. So uh, for me, I think really my political journey has really just been reading um, specific things and understanding specific things that I wasn't necessarily aware of because I'm white. Does that make sense? So what did I read? I I read after, after I read the book of coming to age, I started reading like Maoism. I started reading uh, Trotskyism. Uh, I started reading Stalinism, Leninism. I was trying to figure out kind of like, where did I stand with the people that I saw on like Facebook group chats or Facebook groups, period. And to me, it was kind of like, I don't know, I guess I kind of felt like I didn't really fit in with any of them because it was it was almost like they were trying to like gatekeep certain aspects or something like that. And so I just wanted people to be able to live how they wanted to live and in peace and not have to suffer underneath capitalism. And so um after reading through all of that, I've, I eventually tried to gain or get Gabby to start reading communism uh, theory and start uh, reading into like even the Black Panther Party. I read the Black Panther Party newsletters that they were coming out with or that they had previously came out with in the 60s. And so that was really uh, another thing that was interesting really was the the history, just reading the history of how everything came to be and how human beings have been treated from the very beginning and before colonialism, how human beings were literally living their lives like normal. And then colonialism happened and then capitalism. And so it was just like, there's, I know that there's something better and people deserve better. So that's kind of where me and Gabby picked up with building our power. Okay. So a lot of reading. A lot of reading, yeah. And just uh, unlearning the uh, white supremacist history that I had been taught by, like, my parents. Um, because my parents were, like, Civil War people. Like, they took us to so many Civil War reenactments. It was absolutely ridiculous. I've been to, like, in the United States, I've been to, like, all the uh, Civil War places, like, in the South. Um, and so, yeah, it was just reading and unlearning. Yeah. Um, so for myself, I, ooh, Lord. So I grew up in a black conservative Republican household and I went to a 99% white evangelical Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Hmm. So I grew up conservative Republican by the end of 10th, by ninth grade, I was still uh, conservative, I would say, for myself. By 10th grade, I finally got my N-word wake-up call when Obama became president, and I finally realized, oh, I'm Black. So from 10th grade to 12th, I had to do a lot of unlearning of 
everything. I had to teach myself Black history. And at that moment, it was mainly focused on the arts of Black people, not necessarily the politics, but that definitely helped uh, get me started to, you know, think about my people uh, as a political class. Um, I get to college and I don't want to be a Democrat. I don't want to be a Republican. I'm like, I don't know what I should do. So I was just like, okay, I guess I'm a libertarian. So uh, my freshman year of college, I got all up in these libertarian uh, groups and stuff like that. And uh, thankfully, I mean, I will say one thing it did help me do is they were talking about, like you said, Obama's war crime. They were talking about the banks. They was talking about how he was getting corporate money. It helped me uh, lift the veil off of Obama earlier than a lot of my peers, because, I mean, if you grew up in a liberal household, Obama was Jesus. So. I was able to learn that I was able to learn the real criticism of Obama, not the racist stuff. And it started to help me think critically about politicians altogether, about money and politics, about all that stuff. Okay, so by the end of college, I would label myself maybe a social Democrat. You know, I liked Bernie Sanders and I thought he was dope. Um, Fast forward it. We already talked about talking about podcast coronavirus. When that thing started, uh, that winter of 2019, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of uh, 2020, I lost all hope in American politics and capitalism altogether. There was no inkling in my mind that a vote would change anything drastic or anything at all in America. I saw for myself. This government didn't care, not even about the white folks. So I was like, okay, it's over with. It's over with. There has to be another way. So then I went back to KT. I said, (laughs) tell me about that white communism shit. And she uh, gave me some books or whatever to read. And then I came to find out, hold on. The black leaders that we love so much, no folks were socialists and communism. Hold on. Literally. Hold on. And that's when I was like, yeah, we got to we got to we got to educate the people, because if I don't know, I know majority of my peers did not know this stuff. Right. Like they were already on a whole nother wavelength. We over here doing stuff that was tried before and didn't work like we have to make a change. So that's kind of like an abridged version of my political whatever you want to call it. I also want to add a position like that was kind of interesting for both of us was um, last year during the time of the George Floyd protests that were happening, me and Gabby went to one of those and it was completely and utterly dictated by the police, like the entire time. And so afterwards, we both looked at each other like, hold on a second, like, that's kind of weird. It's kind of weird what's going on here. And so uh, then we started doing some additional research on the current movements that are here in Memphis, uh, because, you know, like, obviously Memphis has a lot of uh, Black history in it and a lot of civil rights history. And so then we were like, okay, the people who are actually here within Memphis, they're literally not doing anything. 
we're they're literally not like they have a they have like five thousand or more nonprofits in a city that's majority black and majority poor. Why? A nonprofit should not be long term. A nonprofit should be something that you you get a goal and that's the end of it. And so for Gabby and I, we were looking at our neighborhoods, even just like the difference between my neighborhood and her neighborhood. And um, yeah, we said there's got to be something different. And so that's that's where we are. Yeah. And one more thing about the Black Lives Matter. We'll, we'll go to the next thing that really showed me. I have never in my life seen a grift that strong last summer. I saw people in Memphis. You would have thought they were the second coming of Huey Newton. They came out there all radicalized, everybody all pumped up, everybody all organized. As soon as Joe Biden got that nomination, as soon as Kamala Harris was named the vice president, it was it was a 180. And I was like, Oh, snap. We can't trust nobody up in here. We literally can't trust nobody. Everybody's grifting. And then I was like, okay, well, we don't even have... That's when we realized there's no leftist organization going on in Memphis, period. Or anybody uh, really helping the, the people here at all. Like, we even... There was even, like, some group... We're telling all the business of Memphis, but uh, there was like some kind of group um, who were like, we were like, okay, you know, they're probably going to do something. And they were doing like community fridges and stuff like that. And then they were talking about starting it and turning it into a nonprofit. And so we were like, okay, so the ultimate goal here isn't to actually help people. The ultimate goal here is for you to make some kind of money and find the grift and and, uh, play this capitalism system as it is instead of deconstructing it or deconstructing it and making sure that people don't have to be hungry long term. And so, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the Memphis scene, the Memphis thing is you come out with radical language you get a couple people with you you start a non-profit and you set for life and this I think they said this is a billion dollar industry in Memphis Memphis which is what 60 percent poor a billion dollar industry yeah it's a grift big time but we went on a tangent (laughs) (laughs) no a necessary tangent though like the the level of grifters out here especially in the past year like like I like we had we had fools like Black Panther cosplay like posting pictures mm-hmm. like they were Malcolm X looking out the window with like a twenty two <laughs> like I'm, I'm telling you like and like and like like you said like just to like put on a suit and like and all just be respectability politics or yep. or just want to pursue a car- their own career in law or politics like mm-hmm. like take on any literally any radical identity just to advance their own personal career. Like the cookout, the cookouts, the, all this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I mean, there's, there's an org out here that's getting funding from the largest like private landowning family in Utah. What? In Nevada. Yeah. Like this is neo-colonial as fuck. Like it is, it's, it's, it's opportunistic, right? Purely. Yeah. We got, it's, Straight Ooh. up, yeah, straight up, and and I love Ooh. too that like along with the grifting, <laughs> which I think like it, it's annoying to hear that it's like commonplace almost like in like everyone we talk to, no matter what city you, you go to, like there was there was somebody who popped up last summer who 
like came out as a radical and like as soon as like you said as soon as the vote came around they were pro kamala they were pro zionist yes. they were pro imperialist like so quickly like so quickly but also like the unlearning um like yeah. the unlearning phase that like all of us have to go through because i mean commentary like pan-africanism they all talk about it like there is such an intentional uh push to to uh, disillusion our people to to mm -hmm. misinterpret history to like do all of these things yep. so that we don't know anything about our history or our radical history our radical futures any of that yeah um yep. so I, I just think it, it's, it's super important but um i'm gonna push to gabe though i know he's gonna ask the, the next question yeah appreciate that d uh so you know we, we've been talking about political education um and seeing sort of the the results of uh colonial education within our communities um so like where where do you, where do y'all see the crossover between political education and direct struggle on the ground in our, our communities okay so i'm gonna do my best here so i think for me when i look at political education i i think of it as like a non-stop process i don't think of it as something that like I'm going to look back on and say, wow, like that was something that happened and that could never happen to us now. Like, no, uh, political education is a nonstop process. I'm learning. Uh, my teacher is learning literally nonstop. There's something that's always going to be happening and we should always be active in the, the current struggle that's on the ground. Um, you should always be active. Even I even think like in your within your community and stuff like that. Do you know a lot of people don't even know like what we're even talking about. Like if I went outside right now and I went down the street uh, to a group of old people that sit out there, if I was to use the word communism, they're going to probably freak out. And that's because majority of our communities are so um, propagated. They are so uh, pushed by the United States government and into these like random thought processes or even into these, you know, crazy, uh, what is it, QAnon stuff. And so... I think political education for for me and within the struggle is basically just always, 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 always learning and redeveloping um, processes that need to change. So if something doesn't work, we need to re rework that and figure something else out. Yeah, I agree. Does that yeah, make I, sense? Yeah, I, I like that. That that was it's ever ever evolving. Yeah. Area. Like, I don't believe in just because these people said that this is the way to go 200 years ago. That should be our blueprint in 2021. Things have changed. Um, but definitely what KT said, like I said here, as far as what we're facing in Memphis, Tennessee, we're facing extreme poverty. We're facing violence. We're facing uh, terrible jobs, horrible working conditions long hours, very low pay, we're facing failing schools, and we have a ruling class, a political class, a upper middle class that is telling the poor working class that it's their fault, that all they have to do is grind, that all they have to do is vote, and uh, you will see change. And if you don't vote, and if you don't kill yourself at the job, but uh, it's your fault that you are in the position you're in. And so because this has been ingrained in us, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. Like even for myself, like why was I thinking that communism was some white people shit? Because it's been ingrained in me. It's been beating me that 
you know, I'm not supposed to have political imagination. This is the way that the world works. There's no other alternatives. You're going to have to be an entrepreneur if you're trying to make some money, you know. So in the direct struggle, we have to educate the people that this is not their fault. This is the way the system works. The only way we're going to get free from this is not by starting our own capitalism over here. Right. It's by creating a system in which nobody's getting exploited. So education is number one, like KT said, folks talking about revolution. I go outside. Don't nobody know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So, yes, 100 percent educate, educate, educate. Because if not, it's going to be five people outside with some little pitchforks and we're going to get mowed down in literally five minutes. Another thing things I think is important, uh, like like I was talking about, like if you do go outside and you are talking to people like people are not going to follow someone or they're not going to trust someone even within their community that they don't know. And a majority of my community is a black community. Like I said, we live here in Memphis, 60% black. So if I myself as a white person was to go out there to that community and was like, hey, you guys should learn about communism. Like that is not going to be effective at all because number one, they don't know me. Number two, they probably think I don't know nothing about nothing because I'm white, which probably makes sense. And number two, uh, three, it's like, like you have to put people that people are going to trust long term in order for you to educate them in order for you to trust that education process right which brings me to like who does the community trust who have they trust in the past right they trust pastors who've come mm-hmm. who maybe brought in their children who maybe uh did look uh block parties and stuff for the community who brought uh gift baskets easter baskets to people's houses they trusted some of the politicians that at least did like a cookout or something every once in a while those are the people that if they come up in the hood people gonna be like okay well those are good people so that's why I like what y'all are doing. And that's what we're trying to do, create that trust to even get in people's ears because people ain't hearing this stuff unless you're giving out money. People don't care about what you're talking about. Literally. So, yeah. And I don't y'all blame like, them. You know what I'm saying? I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. <laughs> well, yeah, that's all the tip. I, I love that so much. That's one thing we talk about all the time, right? It's just the importance of actually building relationships, like first and foremost. Like if you don't have trust and you don't have relationships built with people, like there's no way you're going to move them to do anything or move them right. to, to trust you to do anything. Right. Um, so that's, that's super important. I love that. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's crucial to all of this. I don't remember who said this, but I've heard it enough times now. Like no one's interested in reading your book when they're hungry, right? No one's interested right. in reading it when they're hungry. Um, and that's been, I think for, for our work has been like a really crucial uh, uh, piece of it all. Like w- what point is there in talking about theory if you don't know your neighbor? And like, what point is there in talking about theory if you're not actually building community and power uh, right. amongst your community? It's, it's, it's meaningless otherwise. Literally, literally. Yeah. Also, not to cut you off, uh, but mm-hmm. like I've heard you say a couple of times, uh, right, Gabby, that like you assumed that communism right was some white people shit. Yeah. Um, and that's even how it's still introduced to a lot of folks today, right? Where like, mm-hmm. like Jesus for the white left has been replaced with Karl Marx, right? And we like, but we know that, that like Karl Marx observed communism from, from African and indigenous people living communally. 
Yeah. Like, like that, that, yeah. that is what our ancestors have done and have always done. Right. And I think mm-hmm. like part mm-hmm. of like reaching out to, to especially our people is like getting to understand like, yo, this is like, we never lived like this. We never interacted with each other in other communities in this way. Like this is not natural. This is destructive. You know what I mean? Like, and so right. once people start to realize that this is our ancestry, like this is how our people have always interacted with each other in a communal fashion. Like, you know, like that, I think that changed, that changed it for me. I know it changes for like a lot of other people I run into. So let me ask you this, DJ, because, uh, okay, let's talk about the Pan-African, the Pan-Africanism and then mm-hmm. the hotels. Okay. Yeah. So the hotels, they, do you feel like there's a way, because I feel like it's kind of akin to the alt-right and trying to convert them to communism, whatever. I feel like the hotels, do you think there's a way to move them from this uh what is it uh white nationalism and black to communism like is there a swift way to move them up in there because i feel like on some level they get the premise i feel like all people black people get the premise okay america obviously is unjust we need to do for self they'll say do for self but then their do for self is like some capitalism type of stuff or some scamming type stuff. Do you think there's a way or a method to get those types of people on the communism train via like history or I don't know. I just wanted to know what you thought. Yeah, that's such a tough question. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't even know the answer to that. Like I, I really think like I've lost faith in a lot of people who I who I thought were like learning things and, you know, building things. And then it just, yeah you know, shows that that wasn't true. But like for like Hotep and like, you know, like the ADOS and like all these, yeah. I think like black Israelites, like, I think there's, it's, it's super tough because I think uh, it's like, people are like, I think for me, it's like, it's not like low reading comprehension in like a, a classist like type of way, but like folks really aren't reading. Like they're not reading yeah. history. They're not reading like directly from source they're reading like yeah. their fourth fifth party sources that are just like really just saying shit yeah. um and like people are willing to just take the, that stuff at face value and so like I, at, like part of me is like some people may never get there and like mm-hmm. that's why harry tubman had to do what they had to do right uh, to some <laughs> folks but like and, and then i also think that like it, it just takes people like dealing with reality for just like a mm. little bit. Like, cause when you actually are like, like on the ground, like in community, like a building community alongside people, like a lot of that shit just doesn't, it doesn't play out in real life. And, and I remember yeah. one of the homies we interviewed uh, like not too long ago, he said like the, uh, a perfect plan never works in real life. Like yeah, never. Right. And right. So like, yeah. if you're, if you're not willing to address real life reality and like history, then I don't know when people will get there. Um, but I know, mm-hmm. like, I think it really, if we look across like the global South, like, I think we, we have so much uh, leisure and um, uh, I don't know what other word do I want to use? Um, like comfort in, in the yeah. imperial core. Like we, 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 we profit the most from global capitalism. And mm-hmm. so like people don't even like, they're not at a point where they, they have to engage with anti-imperialism because like, they'll be straight. Like, the, the, even if, if Kamala Harris starts a water war, like they'll be fine. They'll get some water. Um, so like the situation for them isn't life or death. Um, right. And I don't know how to get, I don't really know the answer of how to get people to understand that it, it's life or death. If it's not for you, for someone in an, in another country or for someone in the global South um, who has had to struggle with this 
with against imperialism, uh, against capitalism for generations. Um, and like our ancestors have too, but like we've been so brainwashed here that, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but it is, it's tough. I don't know if you have a better one. Yeah, so I was trying to think, man, I'm like, okay, why do people, but, oh, I didn't tell y'all this, I was a hotel for a second too. I did a lot. I was a hotel in college. Hey, it so, happens. Yeah, so, uh, it was, but it was like, it was literally like six months because of this guy. But, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think it's black people, we're ashamed, not everybody, but sometimes we can feel ashamed because of the way our history is, um, we told to us that, you know, we just suffered and we just bowed our head and we just got beat. And uh, now we're kind of doing all right. And we know we're not doing all right. So we look and we search for things to make us feel better about ourselves and our history. So I'm like, if we just told the truth about the history, if we just made it plain that our ancestors were badass, like we went through shit, but our ancestors literally overcame stuff that, 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 that I feel like maybe that would help. Like if we told the truth that the Black Panthers were on some communist type stuff and the, hold on, my stomach up. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, before he died, he was actually like a socialist and talk about Fannie Lou Hamer and Asada Shakur and stuff. I feel like, I don't know. I want to have faith in my people. Like those types of people, I want to think that just with some education, maybe they can turn around. I don't know. That's why I was trying to get your your uh, your little view on. No, I, I respect that, and I think one thing for me too, like which is one one thing that really drew drew me personally to like Pan Africanism, uh, and like a lot of the the theory that comes out of that history and that movement is like when we're talking about like. Pan-Africanism, we're talking about the unity of, of people. We're also talking about the unity like of Africans, the unity of indigenous people, the unity of yeah. also also conditions too, right? So that means like, mm-hmm. we're talking about everybody. That means we're also rejecting like misogynistic tendencies, homophobic, transphobic, yeah. right? Like fat phobia, yeah. like all of these things that, that come with colonialism and imperialism and white supremacy, like have to be rejected in, the, in a lot right. of, a lot of these other groups like adopt those things. They like adopt a lot of those violent, beliefs and practices and but like that has never and that, that's so disconnected from our history and and our, our what our people have kind of believed and practiced and have been principled about right and so yeah uh, I think pointing that out to people too like look like you're like the things that you are aligned with principally also line up with certain white supremacist tendencies certain capitalist tendencies mm, certain yeah. uh, imperialist tendencies right so if you're anti this this and that then why are you adopting certain uh uh, mechanisms and and ideologies that reject and and also create violence towards your own people. You know what I mean. And so, yes, I don't know. I really don't know the answer. Yeah, I said I like I like that little angle. I'm trying. That's what I, I'm trying. Like I said, to not give up on everybody. I feel like I'm gonna at least it's try. Tough. It's tough. <laughs> I'm gonna at least try it, and then you know, if it don't happen, it don't happen. Um. But I guess for you and, and Gabe, whatever, like, in y'all's opinion, who have been or what groups of people, what types of people have been the most receptive to the message that y'all are putting out there? I was honestly, me personally, it's, it's like 
either folks who experience similar conditions uh, on whatever spectrum that is, or, or like the youth for me, mm -hmm. like the youth are so receptive to, to, to these types of uh, conversations. Um, um, it's, it's kind of unbelievable, but yeah, I think yeah. for me, it, it's definitely the youth um, and like kids, like the next generations. Yeah. Um, and then also like, no, yeah, I would say that because it, it, uh, there's still a lot of um, black, brown, indigenous folks who are still a little brainwashed. But, you know, that's yeah. like that. As we know that uh, we, we all were, too, at some point. Right. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, DJ and, and myself, is, we're primarily in an education environment. And uh, yeah, the I, I really I want to echo that, like, like young folks, the youth, uh, this makes so much sense. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it is so, I mean, I think that's sort of the thing is the contradictions of the world that we live in are so obvious when you're young and you yeah. look at it and you're like, you're telling me that the golden rule is to treat everyone the way I'm treated or the way I want to be treated. And, and then I look at the world around me and that's not real. Right. Right. Um, I think those things are so, these contradictions are so strong that like, and, and this isn't to be like, you know, older folks don't have the capability or whatever. I'm not saying that. It's just, I think that when you exist in this world, the contradictions of this, you have to sort of crush them down inside of you to survive. Mm -hmm. um, That's true. And I think, I think for some folks, they're able to hold on to the, the knowledge that this isn't right. And that that's not deserved those internalized feelings that we're put on ourselves and the externalized reality, material conditions. That's not fair. But I think a big part of it's also like, you know, I have to survive, you know, I got to put food on the table yeah. and you know, that I think that just, that's just how it is. Yeah. And, and I think there's a reason that when we look at like the history of, of liberation movements and, and like revolutions, like there's always been a need for like political education after, like after the fact. Um, mm. And when there wasn't like, it's, it's tough, but like, like there's such a need for, for political education and, and like basically indoctrination, like, because people are going to resist it. Once you've been indoctrinated into a capitalist ideology for years and generations, like a lot of times it's not just going to like flip. Um, so I think a lot of the the push uh, to take down a lot of imperialist powers will come from the global South. It will come from, right. The most uh, affected by its violence. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Right. And so like, and I think once that does come, it's the, it's the like, the very pointed political education, like, yo, if y'all, it's like, if you're going to be a part of this community, you have to be politically educated towards like our, our principles. Right. Um, and if not, then, you know, like that's how it goes. You have something to say? Actually, I was thinking about, <laughs> of course, uh, thinking about like, I was talking about almost like, not really uh, conversion, but to kind of like educate people. And I think of it as like, uh, like you said, like a lived experience. Like there has to be something within your life that you're already struggling with. Cause I feel like even myself, like I was uh, a person in a Christian white household. And so because I was queer, it forced me to look outside of I was actually currently uh, put to, and so I could not be complacent, right? I could, I had no choice to be complacent. And so people, I feel like they don't have that lived experience. It is so easy for them to keep on being complacent in the current system that we currently are in because they're not being harmed by it. 
So, so yeah. Then, like, like, to be real, like, I was thinking about, you know, I've been going to and stuff for various things. And I've been talking to my therapist, about, like, how there's certain things that I've experienced in my life that I didn't even realize was, like, effed up. Because I've been going forever. Right. And I've been able to justify it in my head and just go on with my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Black people who are in the poverty, like older Black people who lived in poverty their whole life, their mama or grandma somebody was a slave. Right. They've had no choice but it's, uh, live with it. And at this point, to try to get somebody at that age to deconstruct their entire existence in life and be like, hey, actually overthrow this government stuff. We know you got the house finally, uh, but we want to get rid of it. it it's you you gonna make it. yeah, it's yeah. So I understand why, yeah. It would make sense why kids who don't really have much embedded in this cap system, they haven't worked their right. whole life yet, they're just getting out of college or high school, they'll be more receptive. So that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as you both were talking, it sort of like clicked something. And, and I'm, I don't mean to draw like comparisons between things, but okay. as we're seeing um, uh, all of these indigenous children in Canada, the, the, the undocumented grave sites that they had underneath the re-education mm-hmm. schools, um, starting to see... I know, and this was really important to me too, just like as as a Jew and understanding that that this is what's also part of the the sort of quote quote reeducation of Jews, the um, you know taking away of of our traditions and our cultural practices and assimilation mm. towards this thing, and and that assimilation is very violent, and the process begins very early, um, and so you know that that's another part of this too is seeing that education. When we talk about p- political education, that that's you know sort of the crux of so much of this mm-hmm. is that like learning environment that you exist in, you know, as as a colonized person within a uh, a, a colonized region, right. um, is the destruction of of your identity and of a, your culture and of your tradition is that this genocidal um, project that we see iterated on. You know, whether that's in so-called America, whether that's in so-called Canada, whether that's in so-called, yeah. you know, the Zionist state or in South Africa or wherever, um, seeing that that process. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't, you know, it, it's hard because, I, you know, like, <laughs> this is so violent. Right. What we live yeah. in is so violent and so com- so compulsory. Right. That violence is put onto you. Um, from the very time, you know, you're a child. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think when you're younger, this stuff is able to click maybe a little bit more and you've internalized maybe a little less. I yeah. don't know. This- yeah. Uh, I appreciate both of you, your perspectives on this. Did you have something can you wanted I, to add, Gaddy? Yeah. If I can add, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. DJ. Were you about to ask something? No, DJ. Oh, no. for sure. Yeah. If I can add something like one thing that I just thought of too, like, I think this is, there's also like this risk of spending way too much energy trying to flip people um, and, and not focusing on like the building with the people who are already with us. Uh, and I think like one of the things I've seen that 
there's a need to, to just build. And as we just build, um, the conditions under capitalism are going to get worse. Like there's not, it's not a question of, of if it's a question of when. Um, and like, I love this, this question proposed by red nation and, um, a lot of indigenous groups is like, it's, it's literally communism or extinction. Um, and like, there will come a time where the folks who reject a lot of these ideologies will need the free food or the free education or the, the free, whatever that's being offered by these groups and these, uh, programs. And like, once that time comes and they're like, Oh shit, like I need support from those people. Like, that's when I think a lot of the, the politicizing can come as well. Um, cause some it people just sense. aren't in a, like a dire enough situation to be dependent upon, uh, like certain survival programs or, you know what I mean? So I think that, that too is so important. That's, that is, that's a, makes perfect sense, obviously, especially now, like housing market and like working and yeah, it's going to get worse. And yeah, that's, that's perfect. I like that. Um, so we got, we got one last question for y'all and I, I know we've sort of talked about this a little bit in the rest of the interview, but, um, so like, yeah, maybe, can you, can you kind of tell us a little bit about like the current political climate we face in our context and neoliberalism, counterinsurgency, these sort of things. And, uh, what next steps do you think are vital to liberation struggle as we work to build indigenous and African self-determination in so-called America? Okay. This one was kind of like one of those questions where I to really think about it, but I say one of the things that we are going to have to do be being white people, because really white supremacy, uh, and colonial, um, it starts with us pretty much. So um, yeah, I feel like in order for us to move forward in this liberation movement, white people are going to need to learn the actual truth behind their own history and they have to confront it. We have to confront it and we have to confront it with our family. We have to confront it with our friends, our acquaintances, and got to stop pretending like it doesn't exist for the sake of a hope that we're going to become elite. Uh, we also have to stop ignoring uh, our ancestry because right now we hide behind the term white, but we're not that that's literally just a, a characteristic of our land, right? Uh, we are colonized European Americans and we have to look at it like that. We say, okay, you know what? Like who, what, who were my, and what did they do? How can I get, not get past that, but how can I confront that and then do better moving forward? Because without confronting our own internalized racism, we're not going to be able to be a part of the liberation movement. We're going to have to go. We're just going to have to go. And um, number two, I feel like without confronting that, we're not going to be, we're just not going to be any help. Like we'll have to, We'll, we'll just, again, we're just going to have to go because we're going to be so caught up in our own self-centered, uh, I'm white and this is how it's going to be and how it's all been for my ancestors. Um, so yeah, that's my thing. We have to confront white people. White people have to confront white people, I think. That's what Definitely now. I mean, it's so much space is getting taken on the internet of folks, first of all, hating white people about stuff. Like, stop. Like, Secondly, white people talking in general about stuff 
they just learned about yesterday. And not listening to people who've been living it or studied it or what I feel like a lot of white people in this space are just taking up taking up space. Really? Like let's get them out of the way first. And let's have people movement, white people are that can that have read art, like you said, uh dealing with their own whiteness, confronting it daily and realizing I'm racist. Every day I need to confront my racism and how I'm addressing black people and how I'm organizing with black people right. and how I'm taking up space, taking up resources, uh, making myself the face of things, all that type of stuff. Moving to their neighborhoods, gentrification, yeah, taking like, housing, like all of that. Yeah, so that's definitely, and I'm glad you said You're welcome. Oh. <laughs> but the current political at this point, like, like I said, that Black Lives thing was a nightmare. I have never seen anything like that in my life. It's like a horror horror film. These people had all of this energy. All of these people on fire, ready for change ready to tear stuff up, burn it up, and literally get swooped and co-opted by the Negroes, and everybody was uh, a month or so left in lines getting ready. So this liberal thing, like y'all said, it is evolving. Like, we've been seeing in the civil rights movement, yeah, a lot of the, the playbook and stuff is the same, but methods in which it's implemented is evolving. Like, yeah. one day you're... We, the leftists are using language or radical feminists, radical black feminists are using certain language. The next moment, a corporation is using this language to sell some donuts. Like it's, we always have to be on our toes. So I don't even, that's, that's why the education, you have to have the education in there because if not, you will be, uh, you'll be treated bamboozled. Like we were talking about like, there's these folks in Memphis that are like, we're going to build up this art center in the middle of the hood, one of the poorest hoods in Memphis. On this for the black people, we're gonna put Memphis on the map. It's gonna bring jobs. If I didn't have any political education, if I didn't know what capitalism was, if I didn't know what to look for it, I'd say, oh, good thing. Come, come to community and help us. But because I have this framework, I think in a certain frame like wait this is going to bring justification this is a way for y'all to um money off of poor people leave uh renting apartment this is a way for y'all to stuff your pockets and this an entire community so definitely i mean without political education we just don't it's gonna be in the same thing it's gonna be the 90s the 80s oh yeah i want to add to that gabby because I feel like when we talk about political education, also political education has to be accessible. We as people who are educated or are educated, or we as people who are learning it from educators, they need to explain it to a five-year-old. Yeah. It doesn't need to be uh, the word. Or, or, or that they're going to have to go and Google it every three minutes that you 
or every three minutes that you say something. So political education in and of itself and a part of liberation is making it accessible to people and making it to the point where a five-year-old can understand, like, my parents should be out here having, or I shouldn't even had to been born and it cost $27,000 at the hospital. Like, I know that sounds small and so simple, but, like, I feel like really, like you guys talking about, like children are are part and are really, really important. So children haven't had that indoctrination. They haven't had that type of everything in their brain constantly. So if these children young and if we help them young, like you are allowed to have community. You are allowed to have people who are with you and uh, helping you. It's supposed to help your community, not on like an individual basis. Feel like it could get even, but it part of liberation is going to start definitely with children and with white people confronting their own racism. Yeah, yeah. I was just confronting. Them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate all that. That was that was straight heat from both of you. Um, so I mean, that's that's it that we have. That's all we have for questions for the most part. Um, is there any? I mean, the rest of the space is for y'all. If y'all want to drop like. Your, your Twitter handle, uh, direct folks to, I don't know, donations, your podcast, whatever you want to do. The space is yours. Yeah. Uh, for now, y'all hit us up. We're mainly on Twitter at uh, building our P-W-R-B-U-I-L-D-I-N-G-O-U-R-P-W-R. Uh, that's our handle for all social media channels. And we have a YouTube channel where we uh, release episodes uh, talking about history, about uh politics, capitalism, communism, all this. I know some of y'all here today because y'all think jail is cool. But see, y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. I ain't cool about jail, nigga. I've been here 10 years and I ain't never getting out. I ain't do much, just kill somebody. It ain't like the nigga ain't have it coming. He sure did. See, y'all think it's just about us in here, but this is about an oppressive system designed to keep niggas down and Y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. What about you, little nigga? You know about that? Yes. Oh, you know about that? Tell me what you know about that. Tell me what you think about that. The prison industrial complex is a system situated at the intersection of government and private interests. It uses prisons as a solution to social, political, and economic problems. It includes human rights violations, the death penalty, slave labor, policing, courts, the media, political prisoners, and the elimination of dissent. Nigga, did you just say what I was trying to say, but smarter?